All right, welcome to Foundry Church. We're getting into our Jesus Shape message series, and we're going to continue on today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 6. While you're turning there, let me explain kind of what's taking place. We finished up last week at verse 23 so in, of chapter 1. So chapter 1, 24 through 2, 5 is this section where Paul talks about why he's doing what he's doing. He's a guy who's in prison right now as he's writing this, and He's, he's writing about why he's pouring himself out for the sake of the Colossian church. And he says he has a desire for them to be complete. That word means complete or, or mature or perfect. He says, I have this desire to be able to present you fully the people you should be before God. And then he, he turns then, that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 6. He turns to begin to talk about what that's going to take from the Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 we're going to read a few verses together. Here's what God's Word says to us. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Okay, there's a lot there, and if, if you weren't really paying attention, you might have only caught the words circumcision and uncircumcision, and you already know we're in for a wild ride today. I want to start off today by talking about words and phrases we use, especially words and phrases we use, and we don't really understand what the word is or even what it means. Maybe you say the wrong word when you mean another word, or you use a word you don't really know what it means. Back when I was first starting to read, I came across this word. You've, you've probably seen it in the sorts of books you read as well. Uh, the, the word is spelled M-I-S-L-E-D, M-I-S-L-E-D. And so I read this word, and I realized it was this word, misled. And I began to read this word, misled, and I understood what it meant. It's kind of a mix of like uh, being a miser and weaseling someone, bamboozling somebody. You can misle somebody to manipulate them to do something you want them to do. Maybe they don't want to do and so I read this word for years, misled, a bad guy would misle somebody, there'd be a lot of misling going on and just miselers all over the place. And then one day it hit me, and probably far too old, far older than I'd like to admit, I realized this word misled, I thought I understood, is actually just the word misled. You mislead someone, someone was misled, and I'd read it the whole time. As misled. And my only excuse is I was homeschooled. Okay, that's, that's the only thing I can blame it on. Nothing, nothing better than that. Uh, there's all the time words that we use and phrases we use that aren't the right words. For instance, here's a great one. You might use this word and it sounds smart, but it's not. The word is irregardless. Irregardless of something. Well, the word irregardless is not a word. 
the word regardless is, irregardless is not. Okay, so don't ever leave church and say you didn't learn something helpful. There you go right there. Uh, one of these, and a lot of us notice this, one of these phrases people use that's, that just is wrong is someone saying, I could care less. Which what you're saying to someone is, is, you know, I care so much, I could actually lower how much I care a little bit. And what you mean to say, right, is I couldn't care less. That's right, I couldn't care less. Instead you say, I could care less. Which, if you think about it, is kind of a compliment, right? If you could care less, you're saying you, you care to an appropriate amount, even over the appropriate amount. And if you lowered how much you cared, you would still be an appropriate level of caring. So this is really the perfect comment to say when your loved one, your spouse, your friend is telling you something and you really care about it, just tell them, I could care less. And it just shows how much, how much you mean. But I couldn't care less is probably what you mean most of the time. Now, this extends to phrases you, you might not say a lot, but a, a phrase like somebody's chomping at the bit, right? Somebody just wants to wants to get after something, they don't want to hold back, they want to get after it, they're chomping at the bit. That's actually the wrong word you're using. Uh, Jake Sullivan, who's the group's lead at uh, Vicksburg, taught me this. The actual phrase is champing at the bit, not chomping at the bit. Right, so you use words, you think you know what you're saying, but you're actually saying the wrong thing. It's not about a horse chomping at the bit, it's about champing at it, which is a different thing for a horse to do. We use words and phrases sometimes, and we don't honestly really know what we're saying. We think we know, we have a rough idea of what we're saying, but we don't really know. Uh, this week I looked up, I was trying to look up some of these phrases and figure out what are some phrases we say and words we say we don't mean. And I searched the question, you know, what are phrases that we misunderstand and don't use correctly? And one of the answers I found was the phrase, I love you, which, which kind of suddenly that, that seems a lot more serious, right? A phrase that people misunderstand and don't use correctly. I've become convinced the longer I've spent time around church and Christians and even in a society like ours here in Mississippi, a very religious culture, whether or not people are actually following Jesus. And I hear people use phrases a lot. And I hear them use phrases that mean something, but I don't think they understand what they mean when they say those phrases. Maybe there's a phrase like born again Christian or a phrase like follow Jesus or a phrase like I'm a Christian and people will say something, it's a, it's a good phrase to say, but they don't really understand what they're saying. Paul here uses a phrase right at the beginning of what we read, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, and I think this is a phrase that we hear a lot, or maybe we might even say, but I wonder if we actually know what it means. This is what he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Him. Okay, I want to focus us today on that word. We're actually going to spend the rest of our time together Focusing on the phrase, walk in him, walk in Christ. What does it mean to walk in Christ? The, the first part of that phrase is we can understand it a little more easily. Walk is just a, it's an idiom, it's a, it's a metaphor for how you live your life. So it's talking about how you live, right? Your walk is how you live your life. But what does it mean to walk in Christ? I think some of us could probably answer that and have a sense of what that means but I think too often we assume what it means and we don't actually learn what the Bible says it means. And because we're assuming and don't learn what it means, we actually end up living in a way, walking in a way, living our lives in a way that's not actually walking in Him or walking in Christ. And here's, here's why this matters so much. A few verses earlier in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says that, that he's proclaiming Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone 
mature in Christ. That word mature, again, means complete or even perfect. And so Paul's goal with what he's sharing to the Colossians and now what we're getting to listen in on is that we are complete and whole people spiritually and relationally and in our lives. And so if we want to be complete and and mature people spiritually, whole people, we've got to understand what Paul means by walking in him or walking in Christ. There, There are three things I want to focus us in today that that phrase means, and they're all coming directly out of what Paul says here. Here's the first thing. I'm going to share it with you in a second, but I want to show it to you before I share it with you. The first thing Paul says it means to to walk in Christ. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. All right. In the way that you received Jesus, continue to walk in him. Now, what is that way that they received Jesus? Well, he's already said to them in chapter one, verse four, and in chapter one, verse 23, and in chapter two, verse five, he's talked about their faith in Christ. That's the, the foundation for who they are. Their, the foundation of their relationship with Jesus is their faith. So he says, in the same way you received Christ Jesus the Lord, also walk in him, walk in that way. So what does it mean to walk in, in Christ, to walk in Jesus? It means that we live, here we go, by faith. If you want to walk in Christ, you live by faith. Faith. Now, come on. In, in, our, in our culture, we, we often hear this phrase used. We use this phrase. Someone will say something like, the poor souls will say this, I have faith that Mississippi State will win this weekend. Right? They're, they're just, they just kind of put out good vibes. Like, I have faith if I just believe it enough. Some people even think I can manifest things around me by focusing on it and having faith putting out some sort of vibes into the universe. And that's, that's kind of our conception of faith. Faith is like wishing, but wishing with a lot of intensity, right? It's, it's like kind of clenching while you, while you wish. Maybe that's faith. But Paul is talking about something totally different. In fact, when the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about something completely different. When the Bible talks about faith, and, and maybe this is a concept you've never had explained to you before, and faith feels kind of abstract, but it's very simple. Let me explain it to you. When the Bible talks about faith, faith is a reliance on who God is, on what he has done, and on what he has said. All right, faith is a reliance on who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. It's not just, it's not just hoping for something good to happen. Hope is good. Right? It's fine to hope, but that's not what faith is. Faith is a reliance, a dependency, a trust on who God has shown himself to be in, in the world and in Scripture, And then what he has done, as told to us in Scripture, as we see around us, and then what he has said, what he said he will do, what he has commanded us to do, it's a reliance on that. It's like fixing your life on that. That's what faith is. That's why you can have people in such different situations in life who all have faith in the same way. For instance, uh, you you might have somebody, maybe you've been here, had someone in your life. I know I have someone who, who has a, a serious disease. They have cancer and they're wrestling through it and it's a strong Christian. And in the middle of the chaos of that, in the middle of their body wasting away, they just have this, this confidence and a reliance on, on who God is, on his word, that even if they die in this life, they're going to receive eternal life forever. And they have such a, a confidence in that, that they, they even die as they go through the process of their, their body wasting away. They die in, in peace. 
Because they have a faith. Their, 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 their confidence is not, is not fixed in this world. It's in eternity. It's in who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. Now listen to this. This is where it gets a little confusing. That person can have a complete faith and not be healed. At the same time, I've known people, maybe you have too, and certainly the Bible talks about people who were sick and had diseases and had issues in their lives, and they trusted, right? They had faith in who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. And through their faith, God chooses to heal them. And so they have faith because it's not about the outcome of their faith, but they're trusting in who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. They have faith, just like the person who had a disease and wasn't healed has faith. Right? So the faith isn't dependent on the outcome. It's just dependent on exercising a reliance on who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. And so you can have someone who feels called to go off to a distant land and be a missionary and gives up everything, sells everything, gives up their job, and and goes to be a missionary. Uh, Somebody who attends Foundry was telling me about someone in their life that they know, and these people had two great jobs, making tons of money. It was just like dream jobs, and they started off their lives with dream jobs. And the Lord called them to a a nation in this world that I'm not sure if I can even say where it's at because Americans aren't allowed to be there. And they went, and they were missionaries in this place, and it was very hard, and they gave up everything to do it. Why? Because they had faith. But listen to this. Maybe you live in the same town or the same city, the same area where you were born, and you've stayed there, and you've just felt God leading you, and you've served him, and you've honored God, and you've stayed faithful to your family, and you're involved in your church, and you are exercising faith just equally as strong as that person who sold everything and went off. Because faith is not about the outworking in our life. Faith is about having a reliance on who God is, on what he has done, and on what he has said. And Paul, in this passage, he actually warns them. So he's saying, if you want to to walk in Christ, you have to live by faith. He actually warns them about putting their trust, putting their reliance on things of this world. So he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, According to human tradition, right? So, so how is he defining philosophy and empty deceit? It's according to human tradition. In other words, based just on what we can dream up as humans. It's according to the elemental spirits of the world. And this is either referring to just kind of the basic principles of the world or it's referring to the spiritual, evil spiritual powers at work in this world. And I think it can be both here. And he says, and, and not according to Christ. So it's according to what humans have come up with according to what spiritual powers or the principles of this world say, and it's not according to Christ. And in particular, when he's talking about philosophy here, ancient philosophy dealt a lot with how we should live. So he's really talking about morality. We do not base our morality on what is said by people around us, what what the person we respect the most who's an influencer says, what we pick up from our political party. We, we, We don't base our morality on that. We base it on our faith. This reliance on who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. And so if if you want to to walk in Christ, then you have to do it, first of all, living by faith. We live by faith. And that's that's what it means to to live by faith, to begin to walk in Christ, just just like you receive Christ, so you continue to walk in it. So if you want to be a whole or complete person, right, if you want to walk in Christ, you've got to live by faith. Okay, here's the second, here's the second piece. So we live by faith. And again, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. I want to show you before I tell you. But look down here at chapter 2, verse 9. And and Paul writes, for in him, he's talking about Jesus, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
This is very similar to something he said earlier in chapter 1, verse 19. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so he's focusing us in on Jesus. He says, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul here is actually, and we miss it, uh, because we don't know our Bibles that well. And also, we're not reading this in English and not Greek. But Paul's making a reference here back to Psalm 68 verses 17 and 18. And you can really see this in the Greek translation of the Psalms, which is called the Septuagint. But you can even see it in your English Bible is that it's a Psalm about how God is going to come and he's going to dwell in the temple. God is going to come and dwell in Jerusalem, which was the city where the temple was. And and God's going to come down and dwell there. And And I love this. What Paul is saying is God has come down and he's dwelling on this earth. And his name is Jesus. Right? In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, it could end there. And you're like, man, that's, that's powerful. Like, ooh, that's really good. But it goes a step further. It's not just about Jesus, right? I mean, what Jesus does is enough because Jesus is enough. But it, it always comes back to shape our lives too, right? We want to have Jesus-shaped lives. It comes back to us because you, Paul writes, verse 10, have been filled in him who's the head of all rule and authority. So you and I, right, if we're followers of Jesus, we also have been filled with the presence of God when we're in Christ. So when we remain in close relationship with Jesus, we also have received and been filled with the presence of God. And we know from the rest of Scripture, this is God's Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So if you want to walk in Christ, you have to live by faith, but you also have to live being filled with God's presence. So we live by faith, but that faith leads us to this intimacy with God, a closeness with God. And I think this is what so many of us are missing. We've, we've been coming to church at a certain level. We are trusting who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has said. But what we're lacking is God's spirit being close to us, a cultivating a relationship with God's presence in our life, the Holy Spirit, talking to him, knowing him, having this close connection with God. And what it means to walk in Christ is you have that connection. You're filled with the presence of God. One of the best places we see what this looks like in the Bible, and it's really just a great story. It's true, but it's a great story, is Acts chapter 7. There's this guy named Stephen, and Stephen was, was picked in the early church to be one of seven people they called deacons. They, what the word deacon means is servant. So one of seven servants, and his job was to distribute food to some widows there that the church was taking care of. So he, he was a waiter. He was a, a waiter they gave a special title to to make him feel better about it, but he was just a waiter. But it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And at one point he was arrested by some of the, the Jewish authorities, the Jewish religious authorities, and they began to make accusations. He had spoken against the law, the God's word. He had spoken against the temple. And, and he gets up and he just begins to preach a sermon to them. He doesn't defend himself. He just preaches a sermon. And when they hear it, they get so angry, they decide to stone him. So they're going to take large rocks. They put him down a little ways, take these giant rocks and throw them down on him until it ruptured his internal organs and they would continue to pelt him with rocks. And so as they start this process, they, they begin to execute him. It says that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, right? He's filled with God's presence. Now remember, he, he's literally being killed. He's being executed right now. And he looks up to heaven. 
And it says he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now this is, this is important because Jesus is mentioned five times as being at the right hand of the Father. Or six times, but five other times in this instance. And three of those times Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Two of those times Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen looks up, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And the significance of this is back in this time, a judge would stand up when they were ready to give their final declaration of whether someone was right or someone was wrong. And here's Jesus standing up declaring, Stephen, you are in the right. You are right. You are who I've called you to be. You're doing what I've called you to do. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, sees this. And then he says, the final words he says is, is Father, uh, don't, don't hold this against them, what they're doing. Now, here's what I really love about that. That's so similar to the words Jesus said when Jesus was on the cross. When you are filled with the presence of God, you begin to live and love like Jesus did. So what does it mean to walk in Christ, to live your life in Christ? It means that you live by faith and you live filled with the presence of God. It's only possible by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing we see is right in front of us. I'm going to tell you what it is up front because there's a lot to it. The third thing we see is that walking in Christ means to live by faith, to live filled with the presence of God, and to live in spiritual victory. If you want to have a complete life where you're walking in Christ, you need to live with spiritual victory. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul gives us a really good description. And what he shows us at each step of the way is that spiritual victory in our lives is not possible apart from Christ, apart from faith and being filled with his presence. But when we have those things, when we're close to him, we get to walk in amazing spiritual victory. This is a message somebody here needs to hear today. Like you need, you need to listen in to what Paul says to us. Paul talks about three ways we have spiritual victory. The first, and he uses this metaphor of circumcision. It's, it's a little weird to our ears today, but circumcision was really important to the Jewish people. Uh, it was something that they were absolutely committed to doing, something the Old Testament law said. Every um, male child that was born needed to be circumcised. It was a mark, a symbol that they were God's people. And so they did this. They would circumcise, but they became dependent on the circumcision. That was what made them God's people and, and not on actually having a relationship with God too much of the time. And so Paul says here, like, you were circumcised, but then he clarifies, you were circumcised with a circumcision, uh, not with hands, right? But, but you were circumcised uh, by putting off the body of the flesh. In other words, like, who you are as a human, right? The human condition, every single one of us has been born into a sinful world, and we're born into sin. Every single one of us is in this condition. Well, in Christ, that's set to the side, like the sinful reality you were born into and have lived in is set to the side. He goes on to say, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. And so there's a sense that when we were baptized, right, we go down, it's, it's symbolic in a way. We go down, we're baptized, we're raised back up. But that represents how we've been buried with Christ, like he was buried, but also we've risen again. Like if God raised him from the dead, God is in the process of raising us. And someday every single one of us will be raised from the dead as well. And he says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So the first level that we have spiritual victory 
is we've been given spiritual life. Before you're a Christian, you have no spiritual life. You're totally dead, completely dead. Nothing you can do can change that. But in Christ, when we, when we join ourselves to him, when we have faith in him and his presence is in us, then we have spiritual life. We are made new. We have spiritual life. We're forgiven. The, the, the deadness and the oldness can be set aside. That's the privilege we have. But, but there's another level to what we can enjoy as well. Look down at verse 14. He's forgiven us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He talks about this, this record of debt. What he's describing is in the ancient world, people would, would owe debts to each other. And, and today, you know, if you have debt, it's credit card debt, it's student loan debt, you owe debt on your house or on a car, and there's records for this, and it's probably a lot of digital records these days, but there's records for all of it, and credit bureaus can see it. But back in the ancient world, they didn't have the digital world, it was a lot harder to track things, so how they often recorded debt is you would write in your own handwriting what you owed. Now, that's, that kind of would, would probably help. You probably would have borrowed less for student loans if you would have done that, right? You had to write in your own hand, like, I, Elijah Friedman, owe a whole bunch of money for my house, right? And owe a whole bunch of money for this. And so you write it all down, and it was in your handwriting. So if you ever said, no, I didn't, I didn't have any debt, they could just pull it out and be like, hey, this is handwriting. You see how bad this handwriting is? We know it's his. And so they would have that written. And what Paul says here is that Christ like, took the record of debt against us, what we've done against others and against God. We are guilty, every single one of us. Every single person ever born outside of Jesus is guilty of sin. We, we're not just born broken, but we have actually committed sin, committed brokenness against other people. And it's written in our own handwriting. And Jesus takes that and he nails it to the cross. He pays the price. He pays the penalty for what we have done. But there's even another level to it, right? So not only has Jesus... Not only has he taken away the deadness and given us spiritual life, so we have spiritual victory because of that, not only has he taken away the record of our guilt and the debt that we owed, but there's even more that he does. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. What's being talked about here is that Jesus uh, took the, the spiritual powers, the demonic powers, the enemy, Satan, and those who are aligned with him, and he defeated them on the cross. So this, this word here, disarmed, is actually kind of a, a nice word to tell you what happened, that they were stripped of their power. But it's just a word that means stripped. What's being described here is what would happen with a Roman general. Now, you know, there's this trend going around right now. How often do you think about Rome uh, to guys? I don't know if you've seen that, but apparently a lot of guys think about it a lot. And probably I think my opinion is most guys just think about gladiator a lot. Uh, but but this, this is the Roman Empire. So here's your, for this week, here's your Roman Empire moment, okay? Back in the ancient world, in, in Rome, when a general won a big victory, he would take all the generals that he had defeated, the kings he had defeated, the soldiers he had defeated, and he would strip them of everything, of their armor, of their weapons, often even of their clothes, and he would line them up behind him, and he would dress up as a god, and he would lead them in a procession with them all behind him to show how powerful he was. He had won. He had defeated them. And what Paul says here is Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So what he did is he, he showed off to everyone, I've won. Nothing can defeat me. All right, so, so what it means to, to live in spiritual victory 
is that you have new life available to you in Jesus. Like the spiritual deadness is now spiritual life. The power of the flesh and the power of your brokenness is now defeated by Jesus. So that's the first level. Then the second level that's talked about is your whole record of sin that's written in your handwriting of all the things you've done. That's done away with. And then the demonic power, the, the, the power of evil and darkness in this world has no power over you anymore. Jesus has defeated it. You are free. And so you're free, especially for that last one, you're free from uh, demonic temptation in your life. Like you don't have to give in to that. You're, you're free from the, the power of that. You're free from what a lot of people would call generational curses, things that, that the enemy has done to, to kept his claws in your family, to keep coming after you. And maybe that's addictions that have been passed down, ways of living that have been passed down, relational issues that have been passed down. You are no longer held captive by that. You're set free. You have spiritual victory in Jesus. Right? To walk in Christ means you have spiritual victory. Walk in that, live in that spiritual victory. Uh, every, every single month, our church takes a good portion of the money that's given to us and we send it off to something called the World Evangelism Fund. This is a, a, a fund that our, the family of churches we're a part of called the Church of the Nazarene has and it, it sends money all around the world for mission. And so back in 2014, I believe, there was a, a family that went uh, to a couple, uh, Ilyana and Sergey, and they were, they were Russian missionaries, and they went from Russia to Moldova. And Sergey's story is that he was addicted to alcohol at one point, and he actually became a Christian, gave his life to the Lord, and was freed from the alcoholism at this addiction center, and then he became a missionary because of that. So they go to Moldova, and they do the same thing there. And so they set up a church, and they... So a couple years in, they had about 50 people gathered together by the grace of God. And these are people who are committed and coming. And one of the ways they were reaching their community is that they had opened up this alcohol rehabilitation center. Well, a man finally came there. His name was Nikolai. Nikolai uh, was from Moldova, and he was a, an alcoholic. He at the, started drinking like most Moldovan kids will at the age of two or three. And then he went off and came back from the military. When he was about 20 years old, he came back. And that's when the, the drinking problem really kicked in. He was drinking all the time. He got to the point where he would have to have three uh, bottles of vodka a day just to feel normal. I mean, he was, he could, he was drinking so much, and, and he had to have that every single day. And he started, he said he was just a walking corpse. And I don't know if you can relate to that. Maybe you've been in a place similar to this before. He's just a walking corpse. And finally, he sees an ad for this alcohol rehabilitation center. So he goes, and it's the one that Sergey is running. And he says he came, and the first time he came, and he heard the gospel, heard about what Jesus has done, that we have spiritual victory in Jesus, and came the second time and heard it again, and came the third time, and on the third time, he gave his life to the Lord. And today, Nikolai has been sober for nine years. He's walking with Jesus. He began to pay back all the debt he owed that he had built up across his time as an alcoholic. He began to pay back all of that, and he's walking with the Lord. He's in the church, and he is living in spiritual victory. If you're here today, Jesus wants you to walk in spiritual victory. He wants you to walk in him. He wants you to, what are the three things it means to walk in Christ? Live by faith, to live filled with the presence of God, and to live in spiritual victory. And that's available to us. And it all comes back to, are you willing to take that step of faith? Are you willing to build your life and everything you do? Are you willing to rely on who God is, what he has done, and what he says is true? And that's what it means to, to walk in Christ. 
I think there's some of us here today, and maybe, maybe you're partially doing this. Like maybe, maybe you are, you're kind of walking in Christ. And maybe there's somebody here today, and like you just know you're not. You hear that description, you're like, man, I, I've said the phrase, like I'm a Christian before, I'm born again before. But you haven't actually experienced this. Like today is the day that, that by faith you can receive Christ, and by faith you can walk in Him. And you can be filled with His presence, and you can live in spiritual victory. And so we're about to go to a time of prayer, and I want you to open up your heart right now to the Spirit. Uh, just, just say, Lord, would you speak to me? And the Holy Spirit may begin to prompt something and challenge you to repent of a certain area, to trust in Him. And so I want to invite you just to prepare your hearts as we get ready to go to a time of prayer together. So right now, wherever you're at, I want you to invite you to, to just ask, ask the Spirit, Lord, speak to me. And then what's your next step? Are, are you, have you received Christ by faith? If you haven't, that's your first step. If you have received Christ by faith, then your next step is to say, okay, how do, I, how do I continue to walk in Christ? How do I become this complete and whole person by walking in Christ? Do you need to live by faith in a certain area, really base your life on what God has said and who he is? Maybe you need to, need to live filled with the presence of God and ask the Holy Spirit to allow you to experience the fullness of who he is. Maybe what you need is, is you, need to, you need to just ask the Lord for spiritual victory for the things you've done in your past, for the things you're wrestling with right now, for the demonic forces that are against us. You need to ask him for spiritual victory. It's available to us. So let's go to prayer right now and just ask the Lord to help us. Father, we ask that you would help us by the power of Jesus at work in our lives, that you would overcome all that stands against us, overcome the sin we have committed, overcome the sinfulness that's even built into us, that through Christ you would give us spiritual freedom. Father, help us to trust in you. And if anyone's hearing this, listening right now, and they're not at the place of trusting you for their salvation, that you would bring them to the point of just right now verbally committing to you, like, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I am building my life on you. Would you save me? And Father, for those who are, are hearing this right now, who, who are followers of yours, but, they, but they're wrestling, they're not really walking in you like you said is possible, I pray that you would guide them to what their next step is. Would you help them to live by faith, to live filled with your presence, to live in spiritual victory? Lord, would you help each one of us to be a complete person walking in Christ so that we can have the fullness of life that you've led us to and we can lead others to have the same. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.